Good morning, Crossroads. Good morning, family. Uh, it's good to be here. It is uh, such a privilege to get to speak uh, to you this morning. You know, uh, this place, Crossroads, is, is home for me. This is, this is family. I, I rocked up here uh, six years ago now uh, as a fresh-faced fresh um, first-year uni student in Palmy, and I, I stumbled across Crossroads, and, uh, and ever since, I've just been so grateful for uh, the people of this house who have just, you know, selflessly uh, invested in me and, and sought to grow me, and, and so I'm grateful for this place. Uh, and because it's family, I, I count it a real privilege to get to speak to you this morning and share the word. And, and I'm excited. I'm excited because I, I really do believe that, that God has given me a message to share. And, uh, and how many of you know that if it was my words this morning, uh, I, I wouldn't have anything really that good to say. Uh, but thankfully, um, I have God on my side and, and I've been praying that he'll, he'll speak through me this morning. Hey, uh, listen... I want to start off this morning by asking you a question, so just raise your hand, and, and I want you to be honest. Who here likes new things, you know, like fancy new things? Um, some of you, some of you, new toys, the new gadgets, some of you are lying in the house of God this morning. <laughs> <laughs> the op shops must be a powerful empire in this city. <laughs> It's pretty natural to like stuff though, right? You know, they say money can't buy happiness, but I, I beg to differ. I, I quite like um, opening up a brand new iPhone or the latest gadget, uh, maybe a new pair of Nikes. Uh, that brings me a bit of happiness. And listen, as it turns out, I'm not alone. I, I looked up some statistics on New Zealand shoppers and across the Black Friday weekend last year, uh, New Zealand shoppers, we spent $250 million in that weekend alone. Just in, that's just in card transactions, not even including cash. This is, this is crazy. Get this, I, I heard of this YouTube channel that is called Unbox Therapy. And uh, it, it's literally just videos of this guy opening boxes of new products. And, and this guy, he has 18.2 million subscribers. That's more than three times the population of our country. People tuning in just to watch him. They don't, they don't get to have the products themselves. They just, they love to watch this guy get the thrill of opening these new things. I, I find it odd. I find it odd. But I guess maybe we do find some happiness in, in possessions and things. But really, if, if we're all honest with ourselves, uh, I guess we all know it's pretty fleeting, right? Maybe, maybe things... Uh, material things, they, they can give us a hit in the moment. Uh, but I think we all know that money, things, that they won't see us through grief. They can't provide comfort or help us weather the great storms in life. Uh, they can't provide a shoulder to cry on or a hand up when things get tough. And so it's a very, very good thing then uh, that we know someone who can be all of those things, uh, whose provision can't run out, can't be devalued or damaged, uh, who doesn't provide a, just a dopamine-fueled rush, rather an everlasting hope. And of course, we know that someone to be Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen. Well, as I say, it's a, it's a real privilege to, to get to speak today as part of our, our current collection of talks that we've titled The Cost. The Cost. We've been looking into the essence of what it really means to devote our lives to Jesus and be true followers of His. 
We've really been delving into the Gospels and finding that Jesus makes very clear to us throughout his ministry that living a Christ-centered life will look like living in stark contrast to the ways of this world. Because while we worship a perfect God, uh, we live in a broken world. So we've been asking the question, what does it look like to be a Christ follower? And this morning we're, we're charging ahead and, and we're going to look at the love of material things. So I figure we might as well get straight into this morning's scripture. So uh, if you're extra anointed, extra holy, and you've come prepared with your hard copy Bible this morning, you can grab that out. Uh, the rest of us, we can look on the screen. We're going to Mark chapter 10. We'll be starting in verse 17. And to set the scene while you make your way there, we're on the road with Jesus and his disciples. And at this point in his ministry, Jesus, has, he's begun to garner attention from large crowds of people. And along his way to Jerusalem, he's been teaching them and performing incredible healing miracles. And where we begin reading today, a man has come running up to Jesus, fallen at his feet. And fallen at his feet. And so we'll dive in. Mark 10, 17, it says this. As Jesus was starting out on his way to Jerusalem, a man coming, uh, came running up to him, knelt down and asked, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good, Jesus asked. Only God is truly good. But to answer your question, you know the commandments. You must not murder. You must not commit adultery. You must not steal. You must not testify falsely. You must not cheat anyone. Honor your father and mother. Teacher, the man replied, I've obeyed all these commandments since I was young. And looking at the man, Jesus felt genuine love for him. There is still one thing you haven't done, he told him. Go and sell all of your possessions and give the money to the poor and you'll have true treasure in heaven. Then come and follow me. At this, the man's face fell and he went away sad for he had many possessions. Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, how hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. This amazed them. Jesus said again, dear children, it is very hard to enter the kingdom of God. In fact, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. The disciples were astounded. Then who in the world can be saved, they asked. Jesus looked at them intently and said, humanly speaking, it is impossible, but not with God. Everything is possible with God. Peter began to speak up. We've given up everything to follow you, he said. Yeah, Jesus replied, and I assure you that everyone who has given up house or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or property for my sake and for the good news will receive now in return a hundred times as many houses, brothers, sisters, mothers, children, and property, along with persecution. And in the world to come, that person will have eternal life. But many who are the greatest now will be the least important then, and those who seem least important now will be the greatest then. I'm going to leave it there. You know, when I'm writing a message, I like to give it a title, not really for any significant reason other than just to keep me on track, but um, I, I want to speak this morning for a few minutes under the title, Follow Me, Follow Me. And there's a bit of ground to cover off in our passage, isn't there? You know, here we have a man that he, he seemingly has it all. He's got money, and from other gospel accounts, we can denote that he's got influence. We live in a world at the moment that is obsessed with influence. Everybody is trying to get their 10 seconds of fame. And this man, he has it. He has influence. And better yet, he's young. He has youth on his side. 
Looks like this guy, he has it all together. Even states that he's followed the letters of the law. He, he, he has worked to live within the commandments. During these times, it was, it was very commonly believed that material riches and great wealth was the, was the indicator of God's favor on somebody's life. And so it's pretty well uh, accepted that this man would have had great respect within society of that day. Which is why I find it incredible, uh, and don't you, uh, that, that when we first open our passage this morning, we find this man of great status and great standing in his community. We find him running to Jesus. Running to Jesus. He wasn't strolling towards Jesus. He wasn't e-scootering towards Jesus. He hadn't caught an Uber donkey towards Jesus. But he, he was running to Jesus. And I, I love that Mark has included that in his gospel account because Mark's a concise writer. He doesn't always give the same level of detail as are found in the other gospels. But here he found it important enough to mention that the man came running to Jesus. How many people know that, that running towards some, someone is, is never a, a cool thing to do? You can't run with a cool swagger on. No, it, it's usually out of a place of desperation or out of a place of hurry. You, wouldn't, you would only run towards someone if there was, was some type of urgency or rush. This man, he, he, he runs over to Jesus, he falls down at his feet, and he blurts out, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And we're going to get to how Jesus responded and the full rundown on the heart posture of this man. But in my notes, I've simply written down for my first point, at the feet of Jesus. Because I don't want to go further until we can picture this. This is a man who is wealthy, dignified, respected in his community, and he's come rushing over in a desperate hurry, and he falls at the feet of Jesus. As I say, we'll get to the sadness of this man's worldly desires, but I don't think we can fault him on where he's positioned himself. Why would a man of this stature come running to Jesus? Well, I think he knows he's missing something. He's lacking something. He's realized that his Mercedes chariot and Louis Vuitton sandals, they don't provide him everything that he's looking for, and he's heard of this man Jesus, and he's come looking for answers. He's come looking for answers, and he's found himself where? He's found himself at the feet of Jesus. So can I pose a big question to us this morning? Where are we running to? Biddy, who are we running to? I don't want to put across the idea that, that money and resource are something to be demonized or looked down upon. Resource and money are, are, are necessary in the world we live in, and at the moment we're seeing more and more people struggling to pay bills and cover the necessities, and so please don't take from this that resource is a bad thing, that we shouldn't be in prayer for practical provision. But my question is one of heart posture. None of us are complete without a living Savior called Jesus, so then in our lack, where are we running? The rich young ruler, he, flawed as he may have been in his thinking, came to the feet of Jesus, and I believe that's where we need to be. As we read on, we, we're going to find that as Christ followers, there, there really isn't any room for our pride in this relationship with Jesus. And not only was this man located in the right place, but I believe he was postured in the right way. Because to be at the feet, you have to get down in the dirt. You have to lower yourself in order to elevate him. 
So I think we can learn something from this man's posture because, you know, the world around us celebrates the self-made man, praises people for getting to the next level, achieving the next milestone. Never take no for an answer. Be your own boss. Don't stop until you get what you want. I'm not trying to step on ambition here, but I, I think a problem arises when our, our ambition is fueled by our pride and, and when we try and get there on our own. You know, I've heard it said that, that great insecurity is born out of great pride. It's very well known that mental health statistics are through the roof in this day and age. Anxiety levels are at an all-time high in our young people. There's a bunch going on to make that happen. I, I understand that, but when we're constantly striving for the next thing, the next position, milestone, out of a place of self-ambition or pride, all of a sudden we get to these heights of success and we're standing there, we're standing there on the shaky self-made pedestal. We've got ourselves there though, and so it's on us to keep ourselves there. And so of course, insecurity and anxiety will creep in. We're trying to shoulder a weight that, that we weren't built for. And so, so flawed as this man may have been, he teaches us a valuable lesson. He got undignified, he got up a sweat, and he came running to Jesus. He recognized the lack in his life and that nothing else seemed to be able to fulfill it, and he fell at the feet and humbled himself before Jesus. And so I put that as a challenge to us this morning. Let's get undignified. Let's fall at the feet, not out of laziness, not out of a lack of ambition, but out of humility in front of our Savior. Because when we do this, He will provide us our purpose. He will promote us. And when God promotes us in His timing and through His will, of course, we know that the gates of hell won't be able to prevail. And so here He is. He's at the feet of Jesus. And what does He ask? He, he asks, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus replies, well, well, you know the commandments. You're a ruler in the synagogue. You, a synagogue. you get this. You must not murder. You must not commit adultery. You must not steal. You must not testify falsely. You must not cheat anyone. Honor your father and your mother. Can I tell you, that response had me a little bit confused because anyone who's ever evangelized or, or been in the church for even just a little while knows that this is the most basic, most fundamental question. You know, the, the answer is cross-stitched, framed, and hung on the wall of, wall of every good Christian grandmother's home. It's John 3.16, right? For God so loved the world, he gave his one and only son. Whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. We know we'll never do enough. It's not about us or what we can do. It's about who we believe in, who we trust in, and who we put our faith in. Romans 10.9, if you, if, if you declare with your mouth and believe in your heart, you will be saved. This is the message Jesus came to earth to deliver. So why is he just telling this man to follow the commandments? It didn't make sense to me, to be honest. It, it felt like he's missed his own punchline here. But what I grew to understand was, was Jesus was undertaking a full heart check on this man. He needed to identify it to this man where his priorities were positioned. You know, even in the way he phrased his question, what must I do to inherit eternal life? We can see that this man is checking off another box. It's how he's always lived his life, right? I have the influence, the money, the prestige. Now, all I need to do is find out what I can do to achieve the next thing. 
And Jesus, he's recognized that approach, and he said, well, as long as you want to know what you must do, these are the practical steps you can take to get there. He says, well, respectfully, sir, I've been doing these all my life. I've lived by the law that you've set out for us. And it's then that Jesus says, well, that's fine, but there's something I need you to do. Get rid of your stuff and follow me. Jesus here has performed the heart check, and he's giving a diagnosis. He's saying, I'm not something you can acquire. I don't want to be a checkbox on your list of things to tick off. I don't simply want to be an achievement in your life. I want to be your God. I want to be your one and only. I want everything else to come second to me. I'm, I'm not against your money, your things, and your status, but I am when they're put in my place. So get rid of your God and, and make me your God. That's what he asks of us. You know, in my notes, I've called that this flipped reality because he's saying, I don't want you to operate in the same way as the rest of the world. I'm offering you so much more than what the world could ever offer. I don't want you to be burdened by the chase of earthly things that will mean absolutely nothing in eternity. I just want you to follow me, and it could be a bumpy ride, but if you're up for it, I'll be with you. And one day you'll receive your treasure in heaven, and that'll be a beautiful day. I wonder if you noticed, I think we've gotten really good at, at kind of sectioning out our lives. We talk about having a, a work life, a home life, a family life, a, a church life. It's like suddenly we're cats with nine lives. And, and the risk of this mentality is that we, we carve out Sunday mornings or Sunday nights for God, right? And then Monday through to Friday, we do the hustle. We, we work to pay the bills. Saturday, we get some stuff done around the house maybe until Sunday's back and we give God his, his hour and a half. Now, don't get me wrong. It's, it's important to be intentional about spending time with Jesus. It's okay to look at that through a practical lens, but I believe this passage is teaching us he doesn't want to be an addition to our lives, a checkbox fulfilled in our week. Rather, he wants to be the reason we go about our weeks. There's nothing wrong with the nine to five, but choosing to follow Jesus, it should prompt a radical change in our thinking and in our actions. You know, if I can be honest for a second, um, you know, Pastor Ruben, he, he brought me this message about a month ago, and I saw the title of the series, the passage I'd be speaking from, and I felt a real weight of responsibility yeah, obviously, any time I get given a microphone on this platform, there's immense responsibility to give glory to God, to ensure what I say is an accurate representation of Scripture, to lead in a Christ-honoring way. And so I guess this isn't unusual, but it did feel significant because this series, it brings me great excitement. You know, I believe our salvation story was never intended to be the end. In fact, it's just the beginning of our story with Jesus, and hopefully we all understand that we're incapable, of, uh, we're incapable of earning our salvation, but when we do accept our salvation through the blood of Jesus, we are choosing to follow him, and that immediately places a great calling on our lives, and if we read through the Gospels carefully and, and watch as the disciples begin to follow, it won't take us long to realize that following requires movement. It requires a shift in positioning. It required leaving what they were doing, what they relied on, where they were placed. You know, for Peter, that was the fishing business, Matthew collecting taxes. It required them to leave something behind. You 
And don't get me wrong, this isn't a message to say we should all be leaving our jobs or moving countries, but it is saying that when we accept Jesus as our Savior, He will require us to undergo a shift in thinking and priority. And we're human, and as part of our nature, we don't like change, but if we choose to follow Jesus, we're going to need to be ready to sacrifice earthly comfort and to store our treasure in heaven. And so I felt the responsibility to get across this undeniable needs to take the responsibility of discipleship seriously and to challenge us on that this morning. But I also feel like I need to get across and recognize that this will never be achieved without the grace of God. Amen? You know, as Christians, we have some weird stuff that we say, right? And one of the the things we love to say is, when I get to heaven, I want to meet and we can fill in the blank here. And uh, if we're honest with ourselves, probably uh, when we get to heaven, all we're going to want to do is fall at the feet of Jesus. But, but, but maybe once I've settled into to my, my heavenly neighborhood and, and gone down to Briscoe's and decked the place out a little bit, and <laughs> maybe once I've, I've uh, sorted out the, the best local takeaway joints, there are a couple of people that I want to get to spend some time with. One of those is, is David. You know, from what I know of David, we have some cool parallels. We've both spent some, some time in some paddocks. We've, we've both been the youngest runts of the family. We've, we've both experienced calling. We, we both love music. Granted, I've, I've never taken on the title of king. I don't want to, but um, I reckon David and I, we might get on well. And the other person I want to get some face time with is Peter. I'm talking about Peter the disciple. He, he was, of course, formerly called Simon. He was a fisherman. Me and Peter probably have less in common, but this was a guy who experienced and saw so many miracles, who had the faith to step out on water, who, who drank the water that Jesus had turned to wine. And he was the man that Jesus chose to build his church upon. So I reckon there's, there's probably enough content there to avoid any awkward silences in our conversation. Uh, and so I, I, I want to talk to Peter, but... Really, if I'm honest, I at least want to meet these two because they defeated Goliath when they were young or walked on water, but rather because they had such insane faith that through God within them, they were able to accomplish these incredible and unexplainable things. And yet they continued to trip up over and over again. They were so human, sometimes pitifully so, right? And as I was grappling with this sort of relationship between costly discipleship and undeserving grace, my mind went to Peter. You know, the, the first time we meet Peter in, in, in Scripture is on the shores of the Sea of Galilee. Peter, Peter was a fisherman, and he's come in from an unsuccessful night of fishing. We all know that feeling, don't we, when, when you, you've just put so much effort into something, and it, and it feels like you've come up empty, like you've been wasting your time. But then enters Jesus. He's been teaching the crowds on the shorefront, and he notices Peter's empty boat. And I reckon Peter is probably in a foul mood right now. You can imagine he's tired from a long night of seemingly fruitless labor. And I always hate, I wonder about you, in these moments um, when nothing seems to be going right and some nosy person comes along and they just love, they take great joy in stating the obvious. And here comes Jesus. Hey, Peter, not much of a night, eh? I think I'd struggle to have patience in this moment, but, but Jesus says to Peter, you know, take out, take out your boat into the deep and drop your nets. 
It's one of the most famous passages in Scripture because as we know, Peter and his brother do as Jesus asks. They, they lower their nets and they're bringing them back up. The, uh, as, as, sorry, as they're bringing their nets back up, they're full to the brim with fish. And this was a clear miracle. They'd been fishing all night. They'd gotten diddly squat. And this man called Jesus shows up, shows up and the Bible says that the boats are nearly sinking from the weight of the fish. And to make this even more incredible, uh, the fish that they would have been fishing for in this area um, were only ever caught in the night. They would go out in the dark with lanterns on the sides of their boats. And this was happening in the light of day. So this all pointed to the miracle power of Jesus. It's safe to say Peter would have been pretty amazed. And so Jesus, after this, says to them, drop your nets and follow me. And that's exactly what they did. So what we've seen here is Jesus has, has come to Peter, a grumpy, smelly fisherman with very little status in society, and he said, follow me. And what can be easily missed here is the fact that Jesus was considered to be a Jewish rabbi or a teacher of the Jewish law, and traditionally a rabbi would only allow the top, 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 top academics who had passed all of the educational thresholds uh, and memorized the scriptures to walk alongside them. But here was Jesus asking little old Peter to walk with him. And Peter takes him up on it. He drops everything he knows, his trade, how he provides for his family, and he boldly takes a step of faith to walk alongside Jesus. And as we read through the Gospels, we see that Peter shares an extremely close relationship with Jesus. He witnesses so many miracles. He was there when Jesus healed men of leprosy, when the paralyzed began to walk. He witnessed the feeding of the 5,000 and the 4,000. He watched as blind people began to see. He was one of the three disciples that Jesus chose to take with him as he transfigured on the mountain. You know, he was in the inner circle. But what I loved about Peter along the way is that he didn't always get it right. Jesus had to correct him on many occasions, but he was always looking to step out in faith, to make a move. He was the one that dared to try and walk on the water. He was the disciple who, who boldly declared that Jesus was the promised Messiah. And Jesus has recognized his faith. He says, you are the rock on which I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail. And this morning as we're considering the cost of following Jesus and we've read about the rich young ruler that uh, as far as we can tell in this short passage was unable to give up uh, his material wealth on earth to follow Jesus. I don't bring up Peter because of his accomplishment, accomplishments, but I want to fast forward in Peter's story to when Jesus is being prepared for the crucifixion and Peter is nearby in the courtyard and many of us will be familiar with what happens next. We read as, as three different people approach Peter in the courtyard and recognize him as one of Jesus' disciples. On three separate uh, occasions, Peter goes on to adamantly deny any association with Jesus. Peter, the, the man who has witnessed the miracles, listened to the teaching, dropped everything he was doing to follow Jesus. He's been anointed as the foundation of the church, was now being put to the test, and, and he, he couldn't muster the strength, muster the courage to stand by his teacher. I wonder if the, the band can come and join me. You know, a little later on in John chapter 21, we read as Peter, he's back in the boat on the Sea of Galilee in the same spot Jesus had found him in the first time. And yet again, after fishing all night, Peter and the other disciples had taken with him, 
had come in with nothing to show for their night of work. And it sounds pretty familiar to us, right? And I find it interesting that Peter, he's, he's reverted back to what he knows. It's a trap I think we can tend to fall into, right? We've messed up and the shame of our actions that keeps us from the feet of Jesus. We go back to the comfortable, to what we can control. We, we lean on earthly resources and possessions, despite them time and time again, coming up empty and having little real worth. But in the next few moments, Jesus shows us his incredible, redemptive, merciful nature. The men in the boat, they hear a voice call out from the shore, friends, haven't, haven't you any fish? No, they answered. And he said, throw your nets on the right side of the boat and you'll find some. When they did, they were unable to haul the net in because of the large number of fish. Then the disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, it is the Lord. And as soon as Peter heard him say it, it is the Lord, he, he wrapped his outer garment around him and he jumped in the water. It then goes on to say that the disciples and Jesus, they shared breakfast together. And after this, Jesus spoke to Peter. You know, I can only try to imagine the, the, the shame that Peter must have been feeling in this moment as he stood face to face with Jesus. The man who just days ago had died on a gruesome, uh, who had died a gruesome slow death to save Peter and all of us here today. And he was standing here, Peter was standing here looking at Jesus, the man that had given this incredible sacrifice, knowing that when push came to shove, just a few days ago, he'd, he'd denied his Savior. He dropped the ball in the crucial hour. How, do you, how does he stand here and, and, and look Jesus in the eyes? But it was in this moment that I believe Jesus showed us his incredible, incredible grace. Because Jesus could have scolded Peter for his wrongdoing. He could have sent him away in anger and disappointment, but instead he chose to redeem. And three times as Peter stood on the shore of Galilee after he'd returned to his old routine, in this uncomfortable moment, Jesus asked Peter, Peter, do you love me more than anything? And he provides Peter the opportunity to right his wrong. Peter says, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And Jesus says, feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do, do you love me? Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Well, take care of my sheep. The third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? says that Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know all things. So you, you know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my sheep. Very truly, I tell you, when you were younger, you dressed yourself and went where you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and lead you where you do not want to go. And Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. And he said to him, follow me. Jesus found Peter in his shame. He offered him redemption. He provided mercy. But in the same breath, he was recommissioning him. He could have scolded him, sent him on his way. But instead, he performed a heart check. Peter, do you love me? 
Jesus, you, you know that I, I love you. Well, good, because you're still the rock I want to build my church on. So tend my sheep and follow me. You know, when the rich young ruler of our passage this morning came to the feet of Jesus, Jesus inquired about his heart. He told the man, if you're gonna follow me, I need to be your number one. I can't be an add-on. I can't be a little G God. I can't be a small part of your week. I need to be your only God. And as far as we know that there was an ask that this, this rich young ruler, he, he couldn't, he, he decided he couldn't meet. Jesus wasn't asking the man for perfection. He just needed him to follow. We know that Peter wasn't perfect. We've read as Peter denied Christ, fell short, but Peter was willing to follow. He was willing to humble himself before his Savior. He recognized his lack. He reconfessed his love and he followed Jesus. And church, you know, we're not gonna always get it right. At times we might find ourselves holding to shaky foundations, clinging to the security of money, of position, possessions, the things that we think we can control, returning like Peter to places that God's called us away from. And I'm not glorifying this or justifying our sin, but I am saying that we have a God that is waiting for us on the shore. And once He's shown us His provision again, He leaves us with an invitation. Son, daughter, do you love me more than anything? Good. Tend my sheep, follow me. Father God, as we've read your word this morning, we recognize that you're very clear, you're transparent. You tell us that following you is a big task. It's one we need to be prepared for and and, and you require all of us. You don't wanna be a small part of our week. You don't wanna be uh, a little G God. You, you need to be our number one. And, and, and so we recognize that and, and we thank you for your invitation that says, follow me. Because we've tried the, the ways of the world. We've tried, uh, we've tried money and earthly possessions and we know that they fall short, that they can't fulfill us like you do, Lord. And so this morning we recommit ourselves and we say, Lord, you know that I love you. We're sorry for our wrongdoings. But Lord, this morning we choose to follow you. We love you and we thank you for your faithfulness. In your name we pray.